Hey, Cracked fans. If you're a listener of this podcast, I imagine you feel fairly similar to how I do about the latest clothing options made available across the tennis market. Now, while I won't call out any brand in particular, I will say this. Given the exorbitant nature of the latest designs, feels like you better be pretty freaking good at tennis if you want to wear that sort of clothing on the court. Now, thankfully, we here at Crack Rackets are now able to provide a far more suitable, far more comfortable, and I'm going to be honest, far more stylish option for all of our Crack Rackets fans, courtesy of our friends over at Lucky Racket. Lucky Racket uses some of the best fitting and feeling tees in the world. Their shirts are combed, ring-spun, heirloom cotton, and tri-blend Bella and Canvas. I don't even know what that means, but that sounds spectacular. So, how can you get yourself some Lucky Racket gear? It's simple. Just go to their website, luckyracket.com, that's L-U-C-K-Y-R-A-C-K-E-T.com, and use our promo code CRACK15. If you do, you'll get 15% off all of your purchases. That means 15% off the shirts, 15% off all of the incredible swag offered by our friends. Again, that's luckyracket.com. The promo code is CRACK15. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Tuesday, November 30th. It's been a while since we've been on one of these podcasts. That's because it's been busy times for us here at Crack Rackets. Obviously, we enjoyed the Thanksgiving holiday. Hope all of you did as well. Hope all of you had the opportunity to spend some time with your families, with your loved ones. Obviously, the 2020 Thanksgiving, so many of us weren't able to do that due to COVID-19, but hopefully things a little bit settled down this year. You were able to find your routines, find your rhythms, enjoy everything that comes with the Thanksgiving holiday. Of course, for us with the Thanksgiving holiday came the Boys 12's National Indoor Championships. We were able to host that level one event these past four days here in Indianapolis was such a treat to get to experience so many of the top 12-year-olds from throughout the country competing on site. And I've got plenty of war stories from the weekend. Plenty of thoughts also on the ATP Finals, which we haven't officially covered yet on this podcast. I know it's a week in the rearview mirror, but it's off-season time, folks. It's time for us to pivot, reflect on the 2021 season, look ahead towards 2022, and to help us do that on today's show, I could think of no better guest to join us than the man who will be joining us each and every Tuesday moving forward as part of our new series we have launched of course it's called tennis point tuesdays and listeners of this mini break podcast know we are forever indebted to the support we have gotten from our friends over at tennis point you guys all know you go to tennis-point.com right now you're going to find the best equipment at the best prices you use that promo code cr15 you'll not only let them know we sent you there you'll get 15 percent off your order free two-day shipping on all orders exceeding 75 dollars best of all a free can of wilson extra duty tennis balls but you all know the promo you all know the plug what you perhaps are learning to know is why we are so fond 
of our friends at Tennis Point and joining me on the podcast today to discuss all things happening across the tennis world is my friend from Tennis Point, Nate Walrath. Nate, welcome back to the show. Happy belated Thanksgiving to you, my friend. How are you doing? Great, Gruskin. Uh, I missed you, man. I'm glad we're back out here. I know you had a you eat a lot of turkey over there. How, uh, how was how was so? I appreciate you asking. First time for me because, you know, growing up, I was very fortunate. I always got to spend Thanksgiving with my family and with my mom's side of the family in particular. We would all head down to Sarasota, Florida. My grandparents have a place there. My parents eventually got a place there as well. And so, again, very festive, I think. Maybe every year until I was 17 years old, so my senior year through my senior year of high school, I would go down there. But then, starting in college, and, and listeners, again, we're coming in hot. It's been a while. I haven't shared an anecdote, a story with you for a while, so I hope you'll indulge me with this one. Actually, started. Uh, here's the problem. How in depth do I want to go? Because the number one listener of our mini break podcast is my mother, and she will totally. Rat- she'll be like, "I knew it." Um, so I guess I. Uh, whatever. All of that, she's going to be like, oh, God, what's he going to say? But point being, starting in college, because obviously Thanksgiving week is always the Michigan-Ohio State game. And, you know, once you're in college, the idea of going down to Florida for like three days, as pleasant as that sounds, I'm sounding so spoiled here. But like the idea of just going anywhere for three days and not just staying in Ann Arbor and enjoying your friends and enjoying all these times or maybe staying home. And for me, it was a kid from my high school team, Sven Kranz, who eventually went and played in Chicago. He had a girlfriend in Michigan, so he would come every Thanksgiving. And he and I would stay at our at my parents' house, home alone, just the two of us, and enjoy the four days together. And I've gotten to pop over to super producer Max Fligner of this podcast house. I went there like four years in a row. I got to go to my college roommate, Michael, as a party's friend. Thanksgiving to me was always a festive time to start sharing with some of my extended family members as well and to, you know, always enjoy the chance to stay at home. home. Who doesn't enjoy that when you're 18 to 22 years old, the prospect of having your parents' house to yourself for three to four days, you just, you take that opportunity, period, when you're at that <laughs> stage of life. And do I regret that choice? I'll say honestly, I don't. And so all of that is to say, This was the first year I couldn't do that. I couldn't go down and spend time with my family in Florida. I didn't have – you know, I couldn't go down or or back to Michigan and hang out with my buddies because we had the level one coming up. So I was here in Indianapolis preparing no turkey for me. I was lean and mean all weekend long, Nate. What about you? I I guess that was a long story. I do apologize. Do we leave it in, by the way? Was that story worthwhile? Oh, we're leaving it in for sure. That's what people want to know Gruskin off the court. That's that's (laughs) Gruskin off the court right there. It's true. No. I'm sure Mrs. Gruskin's spread was uh, was was a plus down there. She's a Hall of Fame chef from from the rumors I'm hearing. Oh, but um, well, no. not in our early days. Nowadays, makes the best fried chicken sandwich I would argue any Jewish mother has ever made. I mean, Jewish mother and fried <laughs> chicken is not a phrase you hear associated together, but she is the best in the business now. She's had some time to polish up that culinary uh, skill set. That's exactly. big time. No, I. Turkey is a little overrated, in my opinion. It's a little dry. Great take. Great take. There's a reason we only eat that specific specific spread once a year. So that's my whole take on it. Family time is great. All that stuff, all that jazz, I'm all in on it. But the actual food itself, Christmas dinner, Christmas brunch, way better. I also, this was the first Lions game I watched from start to finish this year, just because I haven't had the time to do so. Ugh. 
thank God I haven't had the time to do so because it would be causing me far more pain. But again, all of that said, with the Thanksgiving spirit in mind, that's where I want to start today's conversation because obviously at Tennis Point, you guys do so many things to give back to the tennis community and obviously you provide a lifeblood for so many players, not only here in the United States, but across the globe as well, providing again the best equipment at the best prices. But you're taking that to the next level and, again, expanding your operations. Talk to me about what you guys have planned coming up here, what you're you know, excited to announce. Yeah, so, I mean, the cool thing about Tennis Point, the reason why I've, I've taken so much pride in being a part of this awesome team is that it is not focused on the transaction, the transactional piece of the business as much as it really is truly focused on growing this game and giving back to the community and ultimately giving back to uh, – I mean, hopefully this whole going green thing, and that's kind of going to hopefully pr- prolong our, our earth. And I, I'm, I'm not like going to go out here and tell everybody like go green or whatever, but you know, recycling tennis balls is a big thing. And it's a, it's a campaign that we're excited to be a part of and help uh, be a, a, kind of a, take this initiative to the next level. Uh, Recycle Balls is a company, a nonprofit company who is partners of Wilson. Um, they've, it's a pretty new company. I think they're a few years old now. But uh, my club in Cincinnati, Western Athletic Club, I remember we, we just kind of came on with them about a year ago. And it, it, it's, they're making a difference. Um, I got to – so it, each year, uh, each year, 325 million balls are produced, which that number is an outstanding, just astonishing number. Say that for me one more time, please, because that number is ridiculous. 325 million balls are manufactured annually. That's that actually is insane. And when you think about all of the balls at every club, and every club's got what six baskets full, and it's like exactly. how many balls do they go through every year? How quickly do those balls die? And obviously, some try to stretch them more than others. But mm-hmm. over three hundred—that's crazy. Yeah. So one point two billion players slash fans are in the market of tennis right now, is what they're estimated at. And that, yeah, three hundred twenty-five million balls. So recycled balls up to this point has recycled 7.5 million balls and they have about 163,000 members who have participated in the, in this campaign. So they're making the divot and they're going to continue to grow. I think as people realize the impact that they can make on this um, earth and just kind of, you know what, because one tennis ball, I got a trivia, tennis point trivia, tennis point Tuesday trivia for Gruskin. How long does one tennis ball take to decompose? Ooh, you know, it's funny because immediately when you said 325 million tennis balls, I was thinking, well, how many times would that uh, circle the globe if you went along the equator? Like, would that circle it two times, a full time at least? You got to imagine that's a full circle, 325 million tennis balls. I'm going to leave that to the more the. I saw the stat was like it could fill the Empire State Building to like the 62nd floor. Something like uh, that. That's concerning because I don't know yeah. if that's going to circumference the globe. Again, I'm going to leave that up. Anyone who's listening to this at Great Shot Pod at Nate underscore Walrith. Is that right? Yep. 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 Message us, please. Let us know how many times 325 million tennis balls would circle the globe. Uh, I'm going to guess it takes a tennis ball. You're not going to be close. I'm going to say 76 years, 12 months, two days, three hours, five minutes. That's not a bad guess. 400, 400 days. 400, 400 days. years. 400, 400 years. I, 400 years. I, I, I read my notes incorrectly. 400 years for one ball to decompose completely. That's horrifying. Um, with the microplastics and what's put into those balls with the glue that they use to hold the seams, 
that stuff takes, I mean, it's sitting in the landfill long after we're gone. So that just goes to show that if this initiative kicks off and um, gains some legs like it should, it's really going to, I mean, change our, um, change the world for the better. So each Grand Slam, a couple more stats before we move on that I, I just have to kind of get these out there. They're, I thought they were very interesting. 54,000 balls are used in a 14-day event like we see in the Grand Slams. So each Grand Slam, I mean, Wimbledon is going through 54,000 balls. with their cha They change balls out every seven games. Um, and that means 3.5 tons of landfill waste just from those two weeks alone with that that's not even counting the plastic um cans or like the lids or any of that stuff that's just counting the tennis balls themselves so um we've seen wilson trinity balls come into the market non-pressurized uh case of balls made out of uh, like a, with a cardboard casing um which they're supposed to last and stay fresh four times longer than the average tennis ball um and they actually played a wta event in 2019 with those balls which i thought was pretty cool so you are seeing some um the tennis world kind of take act on this this issue and renewal ball is another uh, company who uh, they basically take all these balls in and remanufacture a ball out of the rubber insides. And then they put on a hundred percent cotton and wool outer layer that includes no microplastics. That is a, a much easier to decompose once the lifespan of a tennis ball is over. Because I mean, as you and I know, once these players at, at the tournament level use a ball for a set or two, that's pretty much the, the lifespan of that ball right there. So, um, yeah, I'm really excited that we've taken this uh, step in the right direction for the tennis community as we're a, a major player in the market of selling tennis balls. And um, yeah, hopefully we can help make a difference. And yeah, if you guys have any questions, guys go on social media, type in hashtag recycle balls, and you will be able to kind of uh, steer yourself in a direction of how your club or how your community can put these green uh, boxes around. So you guys can uh, stack your balls that are dead in there and then they'll come pick them up for you guys and give you a new green box. So um, yeah, that's kind of my whole recycle balls spiel. Um, some crazy stats in there that uh, I was kind of wowed by when I watched the video. Yeah. And you know, again, I, it dates back to the first notable campaign, at least that I can remember on tennis Twitter is what Kevin Anderson, his wife, Kelsey Anderson, what they're trying to do to, you know, again, make tennis a more eco-friendly sport to, because to your point, it wasn't just the tennis balls. It's the, plethora of water bottles, et cetera, et cetera, that just are discarded throughout the course of yep. a tennis season. And obviously all of us wondering what we can do to ensure we have a tennis season in 2050, you know, that we have a plan in 2050 to play tennis on. And so you don't think about something like that. Certainly when you're playing, you want a fresh can of balls. You right. want the ball that's alive. And yet what are you doing to recycle those balls? To your point at the end, I just want to reiterate that this program offers you the opportunity. They will come to you to recycle these balls. Run, just run me through that one more time, please. Yeah, so recycle, hashtag recycle balls. I believe they actually have their own page on Instagram now. Uh, they have their own website. So you can go ahead and get a, get a hold of them either as an individual or through a club or an organization, and they will supply you with however many boxes you guys need to uh, fulfill your, your, uh, your dead ball issue. So. Um, for us at Western, I believe we have five boxes spread throughout the club and they, they seem to fill up. I mean, every two or three weeks we have to get new ones in. So I, I feel like that alone is enough to kind of keep us going is that we feel like we're making a difference. And it's cool to see what they're doing with these balls. I mean, they're like the reason I thought of this idea to talk about today was to see what Wilson did uh, partnering with the Cincinnati Western and Southern and helping redo their courts with the recycled um tennis balls. I mean, it's, it's, they're putting them back into their own industry and into their own market 
coming up with clothes as well. Um, indoor equestrian flooring, uh, like what the horses run on is like to provide that cushion underneath their hooves or whatever. They're using that on there as well. So all types of uh, different uses for these things that they're finding, uh, they can be um, kind of infiltrated back into the market in a positive way. Yeah, it's again, it's going to be the question moving forward. How can we make every sport in particular for us here, tennis more eco-friendly? And it's again, something why we are so proud to be partnered with someone like Tennis Point is because you guys are seeking avenues such as this. So again, for our listeners who are curious or who want to get their club involved, perhaps tell their local club of this option, what should they be doing? If you guys have any questions, DM us on Tennis Point US on Instagram or find us on Twitter, same handle. Mm -hmm. Uh, you can message me personally, and I'll help you guys get in touch with one of our guys uh, who kind of runs that program and that initiative, and we'll get you guys set up. Because, um, yeah, we don't want that opportunity to, to be fleeting for anybody that wants to be a part of it. I love it. No, again, that's something we are so grateful for is the opportunity to, uh, again, inform listeners, tennis players who are into this podcast about these sorts of opportunities. They're right in front of you, and it makes life that much easier. Another thing we're eternally grateful for here at ten, uh, Crack Rackets is tennis point support for our hosting of the Boys 12's National Indoor Championships this past weekend. And look, we're two players who are two guys who played plenty of USTA junior events growing up. And I will say this for myself, I was never, never at the level of these level one players, particularly at 12 years old. I swear to God, Colin McPeak, who ended up winning the event in both singles and doubles, could beat me right now at my best. Like, he is that guy. His forehand, his ability to find forehands, you would think it's Stefano Tsitsipas running around the backhand corner to find that inside-out, inside-out, inside-in forehand combo. Hits through his one-handed backhand just incredibly well. Now, the one thing where you see they're 12 years old is you're like, okay, the serves all sit up a little bit. Like, that is the one thing, but the contact point they each have and the speed and there's almost the uh, naivete, the, uh, you know, the innocence to where they don't know, they don't have to go, you know, 1,000% after every single ball that is hit at them, and they don't know that yet, and so they go after them anyways, and it's just fascinating to see, and I've got some other war stories to share with you, but I'm curious what your playing experience was, and again, why Tennis Point, and we're so grateful for this, why Tennis Point wanted to get involved with an event like this. No, shout out to Colin McPeak. I've had the opportunity to watch him a few times at Western in some big tournaments, He's a hell of a player. I love watching him hit the ball off the floor. He's got the one-hander, smooth, nice forehand. He seems like a great kid. He's, um, so, no, he's, he was fun to watch. I actually put a, put a video up of him on our page not long ago that, that people seem to love, and that's um, supporting the grassroots tennis is, is something I have a lot of passion in doing just because I think these kids, they, we, we want to show the fun that they're having to grow the sport. I think junior tennis is, is tricky. It can be isolating. Um, you're with your mom and dad on a lot of weekends that your friends are doing a lot of fun stuff where they're like, I had friends that were playing AAU basketball where they're like always with the team when I'm traveling with my, to hearing from my dad, you know, what, why I couldn't construct a point against this guy or why I was missing third ball forehand. Um, so no, I think if we can kind of continue to promote the fun that these events create and the atmosphere that they have um, and showcase the talents involved and uh, make it more of a community building place for, for these guys to kind of, um, breathe like it's just a place that they can kind of initiate these friendships and uh, have these friendships all over the country which I think is a unique thing for tennis because I mean they are meeting people from all over the Midwest and I mean, all, I mean guys and the nationals that you guys are hosting are coming from all over the, the country so I'm, I'm a big proponent of um, kind of diving into the grassroots tennis and helping grow the game through uh, the 10s and 12s and 
fourteens. And like you just said yourself, I mean, these kids are seriously talented and um, they love the game. And I think this is where we can, I mean, Team USA, we, we just got knocked out in Davis Cup pretty early and hopefully we can, we, we invest with these guys. We can, we can see ourselves hold that trophy again for the uh, 33rd time, I believe. Yeah, no, I mean, look, it was unequivocally a successful year for American men's tennis, and that's something, you know, we're going to discuss here at Cracked Rackets over the next month as we reflect on this past season. But I'm telling you, it was just from, you know, it wasn't just the skill of Colin McPeak and, again, his ability to find forehands. He just hits a mature ball already. His willingness to move forward, his aggressiveness at the net. He missed just a terrible overhead uh, to get broken for 5-4 in the second set to go down. And, you know, his opponent was serving for that second set to force the split, force a third set breaker. And, you know, right away, I think it was at love 15, he, hits a, he goes moves forward, gets the ball he wants, hits another overhead confidently and just was able to put that one away. And that was the difference between he and everyone else in the field. And just, again, that one-handed backhand was ridiculous. One-handed backhand is special, man. You're just like, how does a kid hit the ball that well? And yet, you know, again, whether it was his opponent, Michael Antonius, who whenever he would come up to the tournament desk, I would just go, Antonius. Uh, (laughs) And so, you know, that's the sort of things I was trying to do to make sure, because here's why we at Cracked Rackets are so invested in these sorts of events is because to a point you made, it's investing in the future of tennis. And it's not just saying, you know, we think there are future pros here. That's not the point I'm trying to make. It's that, Mm -hmm. you know, again, the idea of making sure they are enjoying themselves in this sort of experience. Because how many kids do you know who went through the rigors of trying to play serious junior tennis or just burnt out by 14, 15, 16 years old, hated the experience? Because, of course, tennis is an individual sport. And I will also say this, rough estimate, but I'm not being hyperbolic here. I think 80% of the kids cried on court during the, some point of their match. And there was this one kid who's going to remain nameless who would go in between mean mugging like he was LeBron freaking James after he won a point to straight up like tantrum tears if he lost the point. Like I was so impressed by the emotional swings. I was like, how do you go hot, cold so fast? And just what that spoke to was the passion all of these 12-year-olds have. And look, what's the difference between a boys' 12s and a boys' 18s event? In the boys' 12s, each of the parents in the crowd still think they have the next Roger Federer on their hands. And that leads to high stress, high intensity, nitpicky, nagging, draining, I can't podcast for a week because I'm getting calls every hour from a parent asking about this, that, or the other thing, even when it's like, just go read the tournament website. We answered all of these questions in the initial email. Uh, that's yep. that's the sort of effort and commitment it takes to do something like this. And again, that's why we're so grateful you guys were willing to support this sort of event because it allows us to do things like – you know, set up a player's lounge where, you know, we had a Nintendo 64. And for some of these kids, they're like, what is this joystick? This No way, that's stick. so but cool. No, it's just little things like that, exactly. Or I brought them all in before the round of 16, all the, or round of 32, all the kids, all the parents. Or maybe it was round of 16, I don't remember. Uh, 16, I think. I bring them all in, and I go, hey, like, this is the boys' 12s, right? And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, okay. So with that in mind, I just want you all to know the next one of you that I hear say the word bro on court is going to get a code violation. I was like, you're 12 years old, your grammar, your vocabulary, it's better than that now. Let's cut it with the bro. And the parents were all, you know, they were laughing. They were like, thank you for saying these. It's just little things like that (laughs) that we can relate to. I'm sure they all appreciated that. Yeah, it's just like, again, those are the sorts of things we try to do to make the difference 
But yep. uh, even beyond that, why we want to make the difference is because the quality of the tennis, Nate, like I can't stress this enough, and we were fortunate enough to be able to broadcast championship matches, both singles and doubles. I like. I really wanted my. Cl- I called my former club tennis doubles partner Max Rothman. And I was like, "Dude, I wish we could play these twelve-year-olds because like we would win because you would hold, but I would get broken every time, and we would break them every time. But it would be so fun. It would just be really good tennis because they're that good." The next time you guys ha- host a nationals event, like the winner of the tournament in doubles has to play you and Dalton or you and whoever's at the event in a ten-point tiebreaker for some push-ups or something. We got to let it happen. No, but and I think. Going back to what you said, though, is having the lobby that has some games and interactive things that these kids can do when they're not playing a match, giving these kids nicknames, kind of just like that personal experience that you're giving these kids and the energy you kind of feed them and stuff that they won't forget is why I think we um, hold, hold so much pride in this partnership with Cracked Rackets is we understand that you guys have put yourselves through this rigorous journey on the junior circuit. And it's like, it's not easy. It's like, it, it, it's draining. And that's why so many people that we know, you and I have have burnt out in these crucial years of their development and that they never really fully reached their potential. And I think um, guys like yourself and what you and your whole team kind of providing that energy and that little comic relief or just providing that atmosphere for these kids is huge. And that's why they, they continue to sign up for your tournaments and why you guys continue to host some of the best tournaments in the, in the country. And uh, that's what makes us excited going forward with this partnership is hopefully we get to play a bigger role in, in these events and can, can be on site with you guys here soon. So we get to witness it ourselves and, and kind of just tell the stories um, even, even even further. Oh, it's very kind of you to say. Some other takeaways, again, Michael Antonius, the way he defends the fluidity, and he's 11 years old, the way he takes the ball early on the rise, I was just like, this is a joke. And I was like, because, again, he goes up 5-4. He has this forehand volley in his 5-4 service game that would have given him, I think, 30-all. Uh, that he just made, like, a put-away easy forehand volley that he misses wide. And it's like, okay, but that's an 11-year-old miss. It was like, that was such a good point, such good construction, perfect shot decision, you just missed it. It's like, you get that shot back, you steal the second set, and now we're in a third set breaker. And, you know, they had played in the 3-4 match in Mobile uh, at that Boys 12's national event, and Colin beating him 3-1. and one, And just, you know, again, you could see... You could see the computer processing the new data and just the way he attacked this match. It was a super high level of tennis and just, you know, again, across the board, whether it was uh, Tanish Kanduri who makes the doubles final, the ball, the the arc of his shot, like, I was just like, that's what a forehand's supposed to look like. And I think there was this nine-year-old in the draw. Is he from New York? Is he from the New York area? I think, uh, or California. I want to say California. Um, But he, he was just ridiculous. And Mateo Poso just hit the crap out of the ball and I'm like you're you're 12 I'm like you should that shouldn't sound like that coming off of your strings already and just again Zizou Ahmad who is I think from the New Jersey area the three seed he loses his first match three sets to I think a 10 year old maybe 11 named Joseph Lee who was like a seven UTR coming into the event and he is and he is so good I was like oh my he's a left uh I think is he a lefty no righty no yeah he's a righty and just like oh my God, is he good and just takes the ball early with such a scrapper. I think played like five three-set matches, went four and one in them. And just, you know, again, for Zizou, he then, when I say he destroyed everyone in the consolation, like for a 12-year-old to have that sort of maturity to lose that first-round match, go through, beat everyone in straight sets in the consolation, partner with McPeak to win the doubles, 
it was just my sort of environment between the tears and the excitement and just the energy. I was like, yes, this it was it was super fun. And again, we're not able to do that sort of thing without the support we get from you guys. I will say again, it was just it was amazing. Like it, I just can't emphasize enough. At one point, you know, just some of these kids like. You have to go up to them because, you know, you're umpiring and just be like, you can't keep screaming. Like, these two kids, like, you could hear them from the front desk. It was just incredible. And so I go up to, I had to go onto their court to be like, hey, guys, like, you know, it sounds like you're having a really good match. And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, no, the reason I say it sounds like it is because you can hear it from the front desk. I'm like, so please, like, you can't keep shrieking like this. And they both start laughing. They're like, okay, we're sorry, we're sorry, we're sorry. I'm like, yeah, like, what are we doing here? It's just, it's the passion, Nate. It's just like you can't fake that passion. No. And I guess our goal at Crack Rackets is just to make sure we don't deter that passion with everything that comes from the intensity of an event like this where, look, it's boys 12s. You're playing for notoriety. You're playing for, I hate to say it, but like USTA grants and being the guy they choose to put in the national program, the resources that come with that. And you can see the pressure and just, again, how serious each and every match is. And it's just, it's amazing. It's amazing. No, it is. It is. And I think the like just the racket head speed from when I was playing to now is just insane. Like, these guys are taught to swing aggressively. They have modern swing pass. They're taking real cuts at the ball. And no, I mean, I love that you guys have doubles in this event. I mean, I'm, I care about the doubles. I want to know who can play, like who can play some doubles, who can volley. And it's, it's just, it's like Colin McPeak going first in doubles and singles. I think that's pretty impressive that he's not, not let his doubles game um, fall behind while he's focused on his singles ranking and stuff. And um, no, I'm, I'm really looking forward to diving into the, the grassroots game and, following these kids' journey from their young um, – from 12 all the way to their teenage years, all up to the to the, wherever they want to go, high school, college, tennis, or whatever. So I think that's, you know, just our landscape, our current landscape. I think we can continue to improve it with um, hosting these events and providing that atmosphere and giving these kids an experience that they won't forget and hopefully prevent that burnout as, as much as we can. I will say we made sure, and you could see it at the end. I was like, all right, you got to throw on that status point shirt. I was like, come on. I was hyped when I saw that. I was pretty hyped when I saw that, my man. It was no, and and again, why why I bring that up is because every kid got a tennis point shirt. Every kid, and it was funny because we ran out of you know the small size, and all these kids are eleven, twelve years old, nine, ten, eleven, twelve years old. But the joke I made to all of them, and I feel bad. You know, the good news is it was thirty different times, and Westoff, super producer Daniel Westoff, had to hear all of them, so I felt bad for him. <laughs> but it was to thirty different parents. But that joke I kept saying was, so the kids who get the medium and large, I'd be like, you may not like it now, but in two years when you hit puberty, you're gonna be like, oh, thank God I played that cracked rackets tournament because I've got my tennis point shirt that actually fits and i'm like trust me like the shirts i still own were the ones that were boys 14s that were just too big and it's just like those are the keepers they'll they'll stay part of that team yellow army for for the next three or four years and i'm glad you're looking ahead for us man you're you're looking to capture them down the road when they're really hitting their potential run well again it's a (laughs) shout out to you guys this is what they remember the shirts and just the goodie bags because it wasn't just shirts i'm pretty sure you guys sent us a bunch of different things whether it was sweatbands and just all Mm -hmm. this fun stuff and i do have to give a shout out to our friends at lotto elite who did the same um and so again to both of you guys just you you, again why does a tournament like this why is it memorable why are parents i I won't lie i was flattered one of the kids was i mean 
look, there are plenty of people who aren't going to feel this way, but I walked in Sunday morning, and Sunday morning is when you feel everything. Because day one, you, it's adrenaline. Day two, you're just like, all right, I know what to expect. Day three, you're like, oh my god, how much longer do we have to go? Um, and I walk in, someone's like, it's the best tournament director ever. And I was like, I think it was just because the day before I had been so excited because the boys knocked off Ohio State and it was just Westoff goes and you guys can't see this on the podcast because uh, you're not watching the podcast. I'll try to give you the symbol, the highlight of the weekend for me. Westoff, because I'm on, on court judge, line judging and Westoff comes behind the net and there you could see through the screen and he comes up and he gives me, uh, you know, this is when it was five minutes left and we have the ball and he comes up and he goes, touchdown symbol and he th- makes a throwing motion as if he's throwing a, sim- a football. He goes, touchdown Michigan. And I look at him and go, no way. And he's like, yeah, you guys are going to win. And I was like, oh, my God, we're going to win. And so the energy, everyone was just so happy on Saturday because – First time the Wolverines have won in like what, 10 years? It's 2012, baby. Uh, 2011, excuse me. Uh, it was the 11-12 year. Yeah, it was a wow. great weekend is what I'm trying to say. All made possible, powered by our friends at Tennis Point. So, again, we are immensely grateful, and this is the first of many. Again, we, we're so fortunate to be able to host this Level 1 Boys 12s event the next two years as well. I'm certain that you guys will be partnering us in those events moving forward. And, obviously, again, the reason we're able to host events like this is because when we're putting together our bid to be able to do so, we're able to say, well, we have support from friends such as Tennis Point who are able to, you know, again, make this a special experience for so many of them. But my big takeaways, Colin McPeak's the real deal. Uh, yeah, all those kids, the real deal. American tennis, very, very good place. With that said, let's talk some pro tennis here to close. Let's start with the ATP finals, a topic we have yet to hit here in depth. And, you know, again, we got a lot of time over the next month. I'm sure we'll be alluding to this tournament at multiple points on multiple podcasts here in December. Uh, but, you know, again, Alex Zverev capturing his second year-end title, dominant, dominant performance in the finals over Daniil Medvedev. For whatever it's worth, Zverev also knocking off Novak Djokovic in the semifinals. He earns a 7-6-4-6-6-3 victory in that match. Of course, it's notable given the fact that he had lost to Medvedev in the group stage of the Tour Finals, lost to Medvedev in the semifinals of the Paris Masters as well. You look for Alex Zverev here this season, Nate, on hard courts. And just, you know, we can start, I suppose, overall in the season as well for Zverev. Uh, 58 and 15 overall on the year. You look for him on hard courts here. And by the way, that's a 79% win percentage. And, you know, again, that special season, when you hit the 80% mark, that's when you're amongst the elites of the elites. And I saw a tweet today and I retweeted, I think there are only eight guys since the 1980s who have posted 80% or higher seasons. I'll look that up after I get this question to you, Nate. But, you know, again, 58 and 15 overall, 40 and nine on hard courts. However, you take away a loss to Sasha Bublik, first-round Rotterdam, that was right after the Australian Open, a loss to Rusevori, first-round Miami Masters, right after he had won the Acapulco title, and a loss 7-6 in the third to Taylor Fritz. All the other six losses, so again, you take that out, he's 40-6 and six otherwise. All the other six losses, either to Daniil Medvedev or Novak Djokovic. And just, again, for Zverev, you saw the way he beats both of those guys in the tour final. Lights out on serve, broken one time against two of arguably the— I mean, Novak Djokovic is the best, 
Medvedev, you'd argue, maybe one of the 10 best returners, at least on pace to be, in tennis history. And yet, you know, he wins over 78% of his first serve points in both of those matches, makes over 70% of his first serves in both those matches. He was dominant here down the home stretch of the 2021 season, dating from the Olympics, honestly, all the way through to these tour finals. Always goes without saying, whenever you talk Alex Virev, you have to bring up the fact. Go read Ben Rothenberg's articles for Racket Magazine for Slate.com. He faces serious allegations of physical and emotional abuse of his former girlfriend, Alia Sharapova. Allegations that are going to have to be reckoned with. And obviously the ATP is currently undergoing an investigation into those allegations. We haven't you know, had much transparency in terms of what that investigation has looked like. It's been reported publicly that the ATP has not reached out to Alia Sharipova yet, or at least that was the last report. We don't know if they're planning to moving forward. We know, you know, most most of their focus is on the incident in Shanghai as opposed to the incident happening that Ben reported at the Labor Cup. All of that said, they're allowing him to play on the court. And as such, we have a responsibility here on this podcast to discuss his level on the court. There were three guys, Nate, in 2021 who finished top 10 in both hold and break percentage. Medvedev, Djokovic, and Zverev. I know Zverev doesn't have a Grand Slam title yet, but I think going into 2022, and there are people who would have argued this going into the season this year, but I think now it's unequivocal, no ifs, ands, or buts. It's Grand Slam or bust. That's all that's left for Alex Zverev at this point, and I think he has proven he's good enough to do it. Mm-hmm. No, I agree. I think he. I think what he showed in the ATP Tour Finals was very impressive. You know, he lost to Medvedev. It, to me, it seemed like his inability to find the forehand down the line and just allow Medvedev to just sit in that deuce court waiting for him, waiting for Medvedev to change direction with his forehand was a big issue. And then you saw it kind of, Zverev had, had the wheels turning against Novak. He looked so strong from the baseline and just held his own and was the aggressor uh, over the long haul. And then he was the underdog actually heading into that final. He was plus 150. When I was looking at it, I'm like, wow, I, got, I mean, he looked... After that Novak match, I know he had less rest than Medvedev, but I was like, I saw what Medvedev looked like against center, and he was gassed. I mean, he was running on fumes, and I was like, I, I got it. I mean, Zverev plus 150, I'm, that's, that's one I'm, I'm willing to take on right there. And he, his confidence that day and his forehand down the line was, was there for him, and it made all the difference. I mean, he, that, was a, that was a clinic from, what, from, from, his, I mean, from his end of, his end of, the, of, of the court. And I thought, I didn't think Medvedev played all that poorly. I just thought Zverev's, and when he's at the top of his game and feeling feeling good and he's somewhat fresh, he's got so much game. And he's continued to improve his net play. His second serve woes have, have been subdued somewhat and really allowed him to be the player that he's, he, he can be. I mean, he's a 6'6", freak athlete, can cover the entire court. He's got a world-class backhand. His forehand's very solid consistent and his ability to, and his return of serve is just unbelievable his i mean you can't really attack you, you have to hit aces i mean or else the ball's coming back at your feet at the baseline and the point is neutralized or you're on defense and i, I thought he had a hell of a year uh really got to see him come off that olympic run in the cincinnati i was like just watching how focused he was and where he's kind of improved his game just play, dictating a little more and not you know, like just relying on his ability to make 30 balls on the baseline. I, I really enjoyed watching his development as a player. And I do think he's uh, going to be a big factor at both the hard court slams 
and potentially Wimbledon. I mean, we'll see, but it's he's going to be a problem. How about the fact that he's won Masters titles on clay? Like, he's right. also a threat at the French Open. And, you know, again, four guys made fourth round or further at every slam this year. Djokovic, Medvedev, Zverev, Berrettini. You look at all of the stats on Tennis Abstract. Zverev, Medvedev, Djokovic at the top of the leaderboards or in the top five in just about every category you want to look at in terms of wins, quarterfinals, semifinals, titles, finals, etc. Top 20 wins, win percentage against top 50 opponents, win percentage against top 20 opponents. They, they were the guys. And to your point, and I've said this before, and again, regardless of what you feel personally about him, there are 10 minutes in every Alex Zverev match where he does things that I've never seen anyone else capable of doing on a tennis court. I'm not saying other guys don't do things like that, but to your point, the combination of length and power it's just, and fluidity and speed, it's just not supposed to look like that at 6'6". And again, he epitomizes, he and Medvedev epitomize what the modern men's tennis player is. And Guys like them and Hubi Hercots, Taylor Fritz, Karen Hachinov, just again the size, Sitsipas and FAA are both like six four. Size is the name of the game here in the twenty twenties in men's tennis. And Zverev has it and just you know, again, it was the early breaks of serve, and I know he got the net court in set number one against Medvedev, but he breaks him right away to start set number two. And just mm-hmm. the forehand is no longer a liability. And Medvedev mm-hmm. tried picking on that with his serve. Zverev's found a way to condense that forehand swing, take that ball a little bit earlier, and just, again, keep his momentum moving forward. And the backhand has always been elite, but I think it got even a little bit better. And then the missing piece was his confidence moving forward. And against Novak Djokovic in particular, how many times in that third set did we see him employ serve and volley or just, again, come forward whenever Djokovic would float slice or just put pressure on him? And he's now a confident and good volleyer. Now, you know, again, he blinked at the end of that third set against Daniil Medvedev in group play. And he should have won that third set 6-2. And he ended up losing it 7-6. And we saw him get tentative in the tiebreaker, start pushing and playing six feet behind the baseline. And inevitably... That Alex Zverev will appear in a Grand Slam semifinal, in a Grand Slam final when he reaches those stages again. But he's now gotten to the point where the serve can get him out of some of those troubles because you know what the ultimate antidote to nerves is, Nate? Blast 135 at your opponent's body. And just, again, you're going to get a short ball. And he has proven he's gotten better moving forward. And just, again, you what would you rather be? Blasting 135 with a short ball or the guy who has to return that serve at four all in the third set, you'd rather be Zverev. And of course, the return of serve has never been an issue for him. And yet, the fact that he continued to get better this season, and again, you look at the numbers for him, it was you know an 86.1% hold percentage. That's a career high, 4% above his average. 27.5% break percentage. That's second That's in his career. But you know again, 2.2% above his career average. First serve win percentage career high second serve win percentage over 50 percent after being a below 50 percent second serve percentage for his career the double fault percentage 5.1 percent down from his 5.3 percent career average but down also from the 7.2 and 6.4 percent numbers we saw in 2019 and 2020 we thought he was already good enough to win a grand slam he was even better this season, and I still just think there are some hanging fruits for improvement. Again, the ha- the hung second serves. That's We've seen how proficient he is on the first serve. Why can't he get better on the second still? The nerves in the biggest moments are something that only get better as you build confidence, and that's what he did this season. Build confidence. Don't. and just You see it at the end of the year. Like Again, if the ATP is going to let him play, 
he could very well win a grand. I like. Is he the favorite entering Australia? I know if Djokovic doesn't play, I know Medvedev, and that's a whole other story that we'll get into, by the way, listeners, I promise, over the next couple of weeks. But if 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 Djokovic doesn't play, do you lean Medvedev or Zverev, three out of five, entering Australia? Mm-hmm. Because obviously Medvedev had won the last six. And, yeah. But, I mean, but Zverev yeah. beat him, and it was indoor hard courts. But that was a beatdown. Like, I, I I mean, I just Sasha. He's like I just from everything I hear him say. And after right after he won that title, he's already talking about how he's looking forward to next season. And then he puts up a post today, like during holidays, he's hitting the weights already. Like he just seems like he's that's what he's ready for, and like that's what he's after. And I I, I think I'm Team Sasha. If if he's if everything plays out and he's he's in the field, I think Sasha is going to be the favorite. Um, at least in my eyes, I know Vegas odds will probably say differently, but um, with his, the confidence that he has going in, and I think he kind of feels like he broke that slump against Medvedev where he had lost five straight, and I, I think it was pretty sure it was five straight, and now he kind of gets that mental edge back. It's it's hard to bet against him, and it must be the new head gravity. I mean, that's all I can think about. He, <laughs> he had he had some say in that new colorway. Him and Asbardi put together one of the most beautiful sticks that I've ever seen um, on, on a tennis court, and. It's really been paying off for him. As he had, he just completed his best year as a tennis professional. Uh, who, who had the better season in your eyes with uh, Medvedev taking his first career slam and reaching the finals at the Aussie? Or do you go with Sasha, who won, won the ATP finals and the uh, Olympic gold? In your eyes, who would you rather be after at the end of the season? Well, just quickly to update the stat, 12 players, since ATP players born since 1970 to finish the season with an 80% plus match win rate. Agassi, Sampras, Marcelo Rios, Federer, Hewitt, Roddick, Ferrer, Nadal, Djokovic, Murray, Medvedev, Rublev. Now, the 85% list gets even more exclusive. And again, this feels like a perfect offseason topic. But Zero was right there. I mean, he belongs on that list, like 79%. Okay. Um, yeah, that, that speaks to the quality of his season. That's a good list to be on, and certainly Rublev gets a boost onto that list because it wasn't a full 2020 season, which is where he hit that over 80% number. Yeah, again, I just – I mean, I'm just thinking now I could do a full pot on this 80% number. Um, yep. Yeah, it, it's – I mean – it's tough. He, Yeah, he's proven to be that good. And just again, when you look, I apologize. I've blanked out here on your question for no, me. No, whose year was more impressive? Was it was it Medvedev yeah. taking one slam and reaching a final, or was it the ATP Finals champion and the Olympic gold? As I well mean, as the Masters 1000 title. I think they're so. very, very comparable. You have to say the answer is Medvedev because that's the thing they're both chasing, and both guys yeah. had already won a tour finals before. Both guys had already won Masters 1000 before. Right. Now, for Zverev to get the Olympic gold medal – I think that narrows the gap even more. But had to had Medvedev beat him pretty badly for the majority of the season, and Medvedev. Yep. Now yep. again, who played the best match? Who showed the higher level? I actually think Zverev showed a higher level than Medvedev this season, if that makes sense. But I do think Medvedev had the better season yep. from start to finish. No, we could do a whole topic on, like you said, the eighty percent, and I think we could also do a whole top a whole podcast topic on which players maxed out their potential and the guy that came to the, my mind right when you read that list out was Leighton Hewitt like the fact that Leighton Hewitt is on that list is unbelievable but the weapon like with his stature and I mean his just his will to win was he's become underrated in my eyes in, in, in the tennis 
um, historians. I, I feel like he's just not talked about enough, but um, that's for another day as well. But that's a crazy list to be a part of. Medvedev, shout out to Medvedev. He just got his 60th win of the season at the Davis Cup. He becomes the first player, men or women, to to get to that milestone this year. Um, so he had an incredible, incredible year. I still think um, he's, yeah, he's, I mean, I know he got worked in the Australian Open final last year, but if, if Novak's not in it, I, I mean, that's, that's completely fair if, if he's, if he's the favorite. Yeah, it's, it's going to be fascinating to watch. And again, that gets us into the broader topic here of the ATP tour finals. Medvedev makes the final, you know, got pushed a bunch of times, two, three sets throughout the course of the week, whether it was Hercots in round number one or Sinner in the second match, Zverev in match number three. Now cleaned up his performance against Kasper Ruud and, I don't know what else he could do. Again, to your point, I don't think he played poorly. I just think Zverev played that well in the final. The center match was electric. Yeah, that was uh, okay. Perfect. I, 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 I mean, again, this was a great season for Daniil Medvedev. He captured his first Grand Slam title. He was the guy to break the spell. I mean, Dominic Team was the guy to break the spell, but Medvedev was the guy of the initial branded next gen cohort to get over the finish line. Is he again? He's right there. I got, we've we've talked about. What do you think about his performance? As, as the year went on, I mean, I, I was happy to see him have some clay court success in reaching the, I believe, the quarters of the French. Um, I know, I, I know for, for sure round three, but I'm pretty sure he went to the quarters of the French Open. I was just happy to see him kind of. I know he's hated on the clay court circuit and how it's kind of he doesn't want to play in the mud and all that other stuff. But I think Daniel Medvedev has taken a step up in his maturity, and I I thought his just like his career was like encapsulated with that celebration he had at the U S open. Like that was his personality to a T like I love it. It became a legendary thing. And I think that was like, he broke through and I feel like it kind of lifted the floodgates for him to kind of be that player. That's going to consistently live in the semifinals or finals of the hard court majors for sure. And hopefully we see him kind of bring that same success to the grass court. And I think he's a great personality for tennis. I think he's seems like a great guy and um, no, I think his game is is one of the wildest. Just his the way he plays and the way he swings is like something I've never seen before. So his style has worked for him, and credit to him and his team for just kind of let, letting him. Um, I mean, really play his own his own tennis game, and it's it's a, an interesting style to watch. And then his ability to serve 140 and uh, just a two bounce quick serve is just he's everything is at his own pace and his rhythm, and he's he's a, a pleasure to watch for sure. I love that he still has a, ta- uh, a temper. Like, Daniil Medvedev oh, yeah. will still get frustrated, and he still looks for those little slights to motivate himself. And for it's sure. fascinating. It really is that, again, that's what it takes for him to motivate himself, and it gets him going, and it does like seem to bring out his best tennis. And, yeah, again, for him— He's a quirky guy, man. Yeah, and for him, from a statistics standpoint, again, earlier in the season, there was a point where he was holding serve at the rate of John Isner, breaking at a rate better than Djokovic and Nadal in their primes. He still finishes in the top 10 club. You know, again, it's him. It's Djokovic. It's Medvedev. Uh, it's him, Djokovic, and Zverev. Excuse me. Career highs for him in hold percentage, in break percentage, in first serve win percentage, and, you know, things hold steady second serve win percentage-wise, but he's at 52.4%, which is a top 20 number amongst top 50 players. And, you know, again, the forehand, I think he continues to get better with. He's also become more comfortable incorporating serve and volley moving forward. He's always been a good volleyer. He's just now a more willing volleyer. And again, physically, what he's able to do at his size, his speed, his feel, it's a joke. And so, yeah, yeah, he is well positioned to capture many Grand Slams throughout the course of this decade. 
His forehand is interesting. His backhand is very flat, and he gets. I actually think so. What's a bigger liability now, the Medvedev or the Zero forehand? Medvedev forehand, in my opinion. Interesting. Yeah. I just I I don't. He comes like the way he attacks the ball. He almost comes like to the side of the ball. So it seems like his ball almost has like sideways spin as opposed to more of like a topspin ball that jumps to the curtain. So I feel like he does struggle to put that like. He has to do a lot of weird stuff with his body to get that contact point at the place where he can really put that ball away, where it's not unless it's like a short ball and it's an easier put away. But if it's like just like a hanger towards the baseline, he seems to struggle to get that that extra pop on the ball to push the ball past these guys, as opposed to the Zverev um, forehand, in my opinion. I mean, especially on these faster courts where these guys can put balls away at the baseline. I just feel like Medvedev's consistency and his ability to grind and chase down balls is unmatched, but I, I, I do think the Zverev forehand is going to continue to develop and be a bigger weapon than, than the Medvedev forehand. And that's, I guess, that's to be seen, but whoever whoever's weapon on that end becomes a bigger um, problem is per, probably the person that's going to end up finishing the career with, with more slams. Um, I had one, one question before. I know we're wrapping this up here. I had one last question. Going into 2022 season, if Gruskin can make one rule change or one scheduling change, to the next to this calendar season, what would be at the top of your list? Well, I watched a lot of World Team Tennis this weekend because Tennis Channel was always on when we were sitting there, and it was obviously a World Team Tennis weekend. Watched a lot of Davis Cup as well. It would just be a find a way to make team tennis more relevant in the tennis calendar to just segue uh, to segment off a month where it's just like this is all we're doing. And I know you could say, well, isn't that what November and December is for? But it's just like that's the end of the year, and we're so burnt out. Not only we as fans, but obviously the players have played 10, 11 months consecutively. <sighs> what is the scheduling change? I mean, more than anything, I like the return to normalcy in the schedule. If we can just maintain more than anything else, that's most important. Man. What, what what's one thing that tennis could do to make your your uh, experience as a fan as a as a media personality more fun more more, more anything? <laughs> How much what, time what, do you have? We, um, we, no, we got, we got a, there's a long list of things. I mean, it's funny because I'm doing this segment. With number all... one, though, we need the number one thing that that Gruskin <laughs> would change as the commissioner, as the ATP commissioner. Oh man. Steve Wiseman is probably listening to this podcast. I know. This is such a – yeah, they're they're stealing this segment. That's such a good question. I'm trying – I mean, again, there's so many different things. Obviously, pay structure is number one. There's got to be a way to make Challenger Tennis more relevant and not only more relevant but – make it more sustainable for so that the livelihood of a top 200 player there or an outside the top 200 player isn't so burnt out and so broke by the time that they're starting to break through physically mentally and you know their tennis game has actually improved to the point where they can make strides in the rankings but they can no longer afford to keep training i would that would be my number one focus as tennis commissioners find a way to incorporate you know the ATP Challenger Two or the ITF events where there's such high quality tennis and make that tennis further in court. I mean, my first thing would be to just launch like a red that. zone, just launch a tennis channel red zone. Why isn't there just a red zone feed that goes every day? I'm giving this one away. I mean, everyone, this isn't a new concept, but you can incorporate all levels on that zone. It's be like, let's go to Montesteer, where interesting to note, Jun Chung Shang, the number one junior in in the world, has won three straight futures events, and he's playing here in a quarterfinal Tuesday. Let's watch him. Okay, now let's go to the Columbia Challenger, where the Surindolo brothers they've been on fire in the South American clay courts. The problem is you need someone to do a show like that who knows tennis in their bones and who's hosted a daily show covering the various levels of the sport and. 
you know, again, has the livelihood and the energy and a lack of personal life to where he'd be fine going 18 hours every day because what's more enjoyable than covering tennis? If only that person existed, Nate. I, uh, I don't know anybody that fits the criteria you just listed. It's man. not I me, but it's, it's got to be someone out there. Um, yeah, no. I, no, I, I, like, I like the subtlety on that. I hope tennis fans picked up on that. There, there only is one guy that we have in the market to, to do it in uh, – Right now we're talking to him. So yeah, it's, no, it's Clara Tossin is the real truth. She knows more than I ever know. About who, 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 is, who is this? Who is it? Clara Tossin, you know, the 18-year-old, maybe 19-year-old now, WTA top 50 yeah. player. Obviously yep. one, but she, her, like, met, again, she Historian? is – Oh, my God. Best press conference. She was one of my favorite press conferences of the year because she will get in. She's like, I remember when – big shout-out. She would be like, I remember when Wozniacki played – Petkovic in the first round of hollow whatever and it's just like oh man like this is great yeah so she's super exciting um but yeah no again with all of that said of course uh we are looking forward to having you Nate on each and every Tuesday here not just this off season but throughout the course of these next few months next few years hopefully as we continue to enjoy our partnership with you guys over at Tennis Point any final thoughts before we wrap today's show no, guys, if, if you guys ever have a topic or equipment or apparel question Ooh, great. or anything you guys want to hear more about, uh, I don't care if it's string, racket, shoes, uh, hat, apparel, whatever, uh, just tennis training, uh, uh, balls, anything you want to know about, let Gruskin or I know. You guys can tweet at us, DM us. Uh, our DMs are always open. We're always listening to the fans. And, no, I appreciate you having me on. Always a good time talking tennis. I love the energy in the room. We, we we just we always seem to it always goes over an hour, and I feel like we were here for twenty minutes. So yeah, uh, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Hopefully, the fans are enjoying <laughs> it. Uh, but no, another great Tennis Point Tuesday podcast, and looking forward to continue this um, segment. And yeah, happy Tuesday, guys. Yeah. By the way, I just got a notification from Dalton. Did you just start following Crack Rackets Instagram? Am I about to be devastated? I, no, no, that some... was on that was on down the Parkway. That's on my my other uh, my fun account that I do. I, oh. I, uh, <laughs> I was I was I was gonna share the Steph Curry um, Roger Federer post and I think I clicked the wrong button on there. I was, um, but yeah, that's no. I, I, on my personal and tennis point, that's a follow that's been on there for for years. I know. No, it's Dalton goes. Guy, he literally just texted me. He goes, give him some Damn. some junk about this. Uh, no, not hurting him, we my man. Li- yeah, little did he know we were live recording. We can cut that out. Don't. Yeah, I, I, I don't. I can't be done dirty like that by, by my own my, my own kind. Can't. I can't have that out there. <laughs> Of course. No, I'm telling you, as we look towards 2022, because we're going to be doing some broadcasting, I think I might stop making predictions because I'm a little bit afraid. Now, the problem is now when I make a prediction, the school I predicted against, I'm going to get a message from. And it's just like, oh, maybe the, I just... In the DM? Yeah, and it's just like, maybe if I stop, like, is it the more fun alternative that I stop giving predictions? Like, I don't know. This is, yeah, that. no, I'm not a coward. I'll keep no, you can't do that. Don't worry. No, it's the problem is I don't want anyone to think I'm biased while broadcasting. That is the no, one. Yeah, you, yeah, but these are gotta, all things. You got to continue to give, you got to continue to give, because then it, it makes it more fun. Like, if, if the yeah. fans are going to hold on to that, that means that they're listening. That means that your, your opinion has enough weight that it's, that it's something that they care to have. So you got to let it rip. Amen, brother. Always off the cuff, baby. With that said, where can people find your opinions? How can they interact with Tennis Point? Uh, Yes, check us out on Instagram, tennis underscore point underscore US. Same on Twitter. Uh, On TikTok is just tennis underscore point. We're almost at 10,000 followers. So let's help push that number. That was my goal to get us over that uh, number by the end of this year. So, uh, yeah, those are our three most active platforms. You can follow me as well, Nate underscore Walworth. 
And yeah, appreciate the uh, the time and looking forward to next Tuesday. I love it. Well, with that said, again, off-season mode about to begin here at Cracked Rackets. Have a lot of fun things in the queue. Hoping to get a cast of characters to join me each and every week to try and break down every aspect of the off-season. Talk not just about the ATP and WTA level stuff, but talk challengers, talk ITFs. Obviously, we've got college contenders going on as well. We'll get Colette Lewis as she enjoys uh, all the action down at Eddie Hur and Orange Bowl when she's done with her soiree down there. We're trying to interview all the Power 5 coaches in both men's and women's college tennis before the start of the offseason as well. Busy times here at Cracked Rackets as again we try to keep ensure that all of you listeners remain the most well-informed, best educated fans in the business. Of course if you want to be the best dressed, best equipped fans in the business, you turn to our friends at Tennis Point, tennis-point.com Promo code is CR15 a shout out as always to our super producers Max Fligner, Daniel Westoff for the f*** of an editing job they do day in, day out. Of course the more immediate updates, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, at Cracked Rackets, at Tennis Point, at Nate underscore Walrith, at Great Shot Pod. With all of that said, for my fantastic co-host, Nate Walrith, our super producers, Fligner and Westhoff, our friends at Tennis Point, from all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. Nate, what do we tell the people? That's the point! And we will see you all next time. Take care, everyone. <laughs>